Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody. It's your afraid of flying, sweating bullets wizard, Holden McNeely. And it's me, your silver foxed reformed actor career revival bruiser, Jake. And we are both, I think, very excited to uh, bring you this episode today. I know it's maybe a little different from our normal, but at the same time, I feel like this is the perfect kind of episode for comedy nerds. Um, more so than anything else. And and it definitely a comedy nerd such as myself. I grew up on watching Leslie Nielsen um, helmed uh, feature film comedies. Mm. I, I, I don't know. It's, 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 these movies have meant so much to me. Like as a kid, this is these, as I said to Jake before we started, these are dad movies. These are the quintessential dad movies. I know this because when I tried to watch uh, some of these movies with Marie over the uh, over the past week, uh, she said, no, my dad forced me to watch these movies and I didn't like being forced to watch these movies. <laughs> um, but uh, more than that, this what's really blew my mind is that uh, I, this is what I feel like is my favorite thing about doing this show with you, Holden, which is taking these just kind of faded memories from my childhood and taking these kind of cultural touchstones, these 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 works of of pop art and actually going back and examining them with like clear eyes and full knowledge and, you know, revealing the layers of meaning and weird twists underneath them. Uh, and I, we honestly would have never chosen this as a topic yes, if it wasn't was, for our patrons. Our patrons, this is uh, Robert uh, Chumsey. Uh, he has nothing to promote, uh, but this one goes out to you, buddy. Thank you, Robert, so much. For, huh, couldn't even have uh, picked a charity, huh? For the patronage. Interesting. Um, we'll do it. Uh, the Big Dick Fund. Uh, <laughs> that's what we're doing. That's when this one. Uh, shout outs to that. The Big Dick Podcast and the Big Dick Fund. Is that a fund for people who need big dicks or is that a fund for people whose dicks are so big? That's a they- fun, yeah, it's a fund for people who, people whose dicks are so big. It really alters their ability to uh, be mobile, to um, have full on intercourse. Um, <laughs> they just buy them wheelbarrows. Yeah, they just get them wheelbarrows. It's very upsetting. Um Mostly, uh, we mostly deal with the, these people. Mostly live in Brazil uh, <laughs> and uh, different parts of Chile. For the price of a cup of dick lube, <laughs> you can. So thanks, Robert. But honestly, I disagree with this. Actually, I am sure we would have gotten to the Zucker brothers. We would have gotten to the Zuckers. We would have gotten to any individual movie, but we got specifically Leslie Nielsen, and that, my friend, is a 
a very like a topic that I don't know we would have gone into as deeply as we would have. But it makes so much more sense to do Leslie Nielsen, in my opinion, than just doing like airplane or whatever, because of especially the Forbidden Planet angle. Um, and for some of the earlier films he did, I mean, we've mentioned Forbidden Planet a couple times as the influence for different sci-fi movies that we've covered in the past, different sci-fi, what well, anything that we've covered in the past, because it's sort of the grandfather of so much uh, sci-fi uh, pop culture and media. Um, but but here we'll definitely spotlight it the most and also get into his comedies. But his his career is prolific. He it is it is absurd. He has he has performed in over 100 films and 1500 television episodes portraying more than 220 characters. That's the uh the thing you have to realize is the man was 50 years old when Airplane was out. Like this was a this was an established actor's actor who made his way through New York in the in the burgeoning television scene mm-hmm. and then to Hollywood in the studio system and was kind of just uh just living on his uh, uh, basically his clear, his clear as a bell, authoritative voice, and kind of standard white guy looks. That lovely bassy voice and that sort of every man leading man kind of look that they're always looking for out there in Hollywood, back in the studio system. He days. had, but he never quite had. But he had that weird nose. He wasn't mm. quite tall. He mm-hmm. was very interesting in that, like he was never going to be a major blockbuster like marquee star, right? But through this weird metamorphosis through comedy, he became a global figure representing not just like the Zuckers, but after the Zuckers, this entire like goofball farce, <laughs> boing style of comedy. Because, you know, he was... The uh, comedies that we don't really get anymore today, not quite as much, but they were so... Um, no, it's, it's... They were every year, there was a million of them in the 90s. Like, yeah. they were just const- a constant rate of this kind of over-the-top... I, I remember going to this movie theater and seeing, like, um, what was it, Spy... What was it, Spy Hard, right? Oh, Spy Hard. Um, yeah, yeah, all of Wrongfully the, Accused. I would just watch all of... The, I mean, and then, you know, before that, like, Hot Shots, and, of course, before that, the classics that are Naked Gun, and I remember seeing Naked Gun Two and a Half in the theater with my dad. Um, I remember seeing Airplane. Like, that was one of those early movies, oh, I'm not supposed to watch... You got to close your eyes at a couple parts um, with my father. It was that was like comedy was in, in film were very important in terms of my relationship with my dad. Like we co- kind of like, you know how everybody uh, shows love in different ways, right? Like mm-hmm. so for like Lexi, it's going out to dinner like because she used to be taken out to dinner a lot by her her mother or what. And, and, and that was kind of the way that love was sort of communicated to her. They'd go get oysters. And so like that's like an important thing. We have to like go get oysters. Uh, for me, it's like sitting and watching Seinfeld with somebody <laughs> and and watching airplane and watching naked gun and sitting and laughing with somebody on, on a couch or whatever and hanging out like that to me is like love in my you know in my world um uh and and so it it really this doing this episode brought back so many fond memories of that and i saw like a lot of this stuff right when it came out i mean i definitely saw naked gun 33 and the third in the mm-hmm. theater i don't think i saw Dr- dracula dead and loving it i saw in the theater or i ever. saw spy hard in the theater i mm-hmm. saw uh naked gun 33 and the third in the theater and uh I saw Dracula Dead and Loving It in the theater, and that was a very important moment because <laughs> I was buying a ticket, or you know, my parents bought me a ticket uh, to see a Mel Brooks movie mm. starring Leslie Nielsen, mm. and yet I wasn't laughing. <laughs> 
how is that possible? <laughs> we'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into it, let's start in back in 1926 in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. Um, Leslie Nielsen's mother was an immigrant from Wales and his father was a Danish-born constable in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. He was a Mountie. All right, this is like a byline in the in the uh, Wikipedia version of his life story. But I stumbled across a, uh, you can find this online, from the archives of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, an interview where Leslie Nielsen is talking with his uh, brother, Eric Nielsen, uh, who ended up becoming a conservative deputy prime minister and representative from uh, the Yukon Territory. Mm. And their early childhood was in a small territorial area called Toledo. Mm. And they were the only white family in the entire area. Most of it was uh, dog rib speaking natives. And their dad was basically the sole source of authority and federal government. Because, you know, the mounted police uh, was a necessity because Canada, I don't know if you know this, fucking huge gigantic country and uh the the royal mounted police kind of was the de facto sense of order in the world and um their father leslie nielsen's father uh pulled a bit of a boo-boo uh when he married uh their mother uh before he had served his prerequisite five years in the mounted police because that was the law back then that uh, only after five years serving in the royal mounted police were you eligible to be married (laughs) And uh, he was going to get fired, but he took on this way, way fuck you outpost territory job. Uh, You know, he volunteered for it before they could fire him and they were just happy to be rid of him. Mm. And so they're stuck literally like closer to the Arctic Circle than they are to civilization. Uh, There's no doctors, no fresh food. No, like literally across an ice highway, you know, ice road trucker shit. They get barrels of flour twice a year and get to see a doctor. This is horrifying. Leslie Nielsen describes watching in terror as uh, his brother Eric slips and cuts his entire lip open on a coffee can. And the like four men have to hold him down while their father hand sews their lips shut. Um, you know, the not like lips shut, like fucking Matrix stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, while he's screaming in agony with no antiseptic and no anesthetic. Ugh. Um, and, you know, their poor mom that just had to like get up and go to uh, to like upend her life to be with this guy. Yeah. Um, their father, although he was a, a Dutch immigrant who had a history of uh, circus performing, he was a clown. Oh, what? He had a tumbling act. I did not know that. He was... A very angry yes. and very strict disciplinarian. No, an ang- a clown that's angry and awful on the, on the side. Uh, no way. And uh, <laughs> Leslie Nielsen and his uh, brothers Eric and Gordon and his mother would be beaten routinely. Yes, all the time. He even mentions uh, that he became a very good actor just like lying to his father, trying to get out of getting in trouble all the time and getting beaten the fuck out of. Sounds and, like an awful situation. Well, Definitely a situation about, where it was like... like let me get the fuck out of here as soon as possible and go chase a dream. Um, so uh, they weren't in this like kind of uh, Northwest Territory outpost for long because uh, they noticed that their youngest uh, child started speaking exclusively in the native dog rib language instead of English. Oh, God. And they were like, oh, we should probably send our children to an actual school. Yes. And so they made their way back south to, I believe, Saskatchewan. And, um, you know, it was a still a, it was still a rough go with their dad. 
Leslie Nielsen talks about uh, looking up to his uncle. Uh, what's the name of their their uncle? The actor? Gene Herschel, who starred as the titular character of a radio series called Doctor Christian, that went to uh, went to TV and got a movie as well. Nielsen said, "I did learn very early that when I would mention my uncle, people would look at me as if I were the biggest liar in the world. <laughs> then I would take them home and show them eight by ten glossies, and things changed quite drastically. So I began to think that maybe this acting business was not such a bad idea. Much as I was." very shy about it and certainly without courage regarding it. My uncle died not too long after I was in a position to know him. I regret that I had not a chance to know him better. Uh, his father hated his his uh, hated that uncle. Of course brother. he did. I bet he really wanted to be a showman. I bet his dad. Re- I bet that's part of why he was such an angry asshole. Was that he probably had dreams of something better than being stuck in the middle of fucking nowhere with two with three kids and a and a and a wife. You know, even though um, that's not the way to certainly not the way to take that out. Um, for sure. Uh, and when you think about like Leslie Nielsen at his best, like the doctor from. Uh, from airplane it's that steely gaze it's that unshaking resolve that kind of is him at his prime yes um i to just give away the ghost i honestly believe that it's when leslie nielsen is trying to be funny yes that it all falls apart that it all falls apart and that uh his roles in the naked gun movies and his association with spoof comedies ended up getting him booked uh routinely to carry these like the carry these kind of lesser comedies on his back forcing him to be goofier and zanier and like well i read i read so much it's kind of funny how it folded in on itself because i read so much about how uh at the time you know they wanted his role to go to someone like bill murray or someone Mm -hmm. like you know someone who was known for comedy a comedic actor a comedian a comedian that honed their act so much of comedy films up to this point up and up to airplane were uh comedic actors who honed their act on their own and then they just kind of brought that to the film or tv they brought those characters you know you even going back to like the tramp with charlie chaplin i mean these are like people who honed a certain bit a certain comedic aesthetic and then put it in whereas the the brilliant trick uh that the zuckers and and abrams uh the zucker brothers and uh, mr abrams did was casting these very serious actors into these ridiculous role into these uh with all this ridiculous shit happening around them and that was this brilliant new way to do comedy that hadn't been really done up to that point. And then as if nobody could like figure out that that was the brilliant trick they played, they just started like shoving them into the Bill Murray roles. You know what I mean? Into the, the, the comedy, the Abbott and Costello type role. You know what I mean? Like where you're the wacky guy. It's like, no, the whole point was that they're just reacting. They're just like seriously committing to these ridiculous situations. And these ridiculous jokes are just like being said dead. You know, don't call me Shirley. Just deadpan, (laughs) hilariously delivered. There's a, oh God, there's a line in Police Squad that I just can't get over, which is- uh, Police Squad, the TV show. The, yeah, the TV yes. show. Have you, so you've seen all of it? Um, or have you seen I rewatched the first three episodes. Okay. I had seen, like, because they used to rerun it. We had, in Murder Fist, we had a bot, the, like, DVD uh, set being passed around. It was just one DVD. It was only six episodes, and we were passing it around. Everybody, like, watched it. It's so awesome. Just I, the I, chief uh, is, uh, like, uh, hands drebbing a note, and it's just like- uh, we just got this note back from the lab. Says they want a million dollars. And Frank Drebin, just without blinking an eye, is just like, why would the lab need a million dollars? 
<laughs> and just the freeze frame at the credits and uh, all of those like great old classic gags that you think you're ripping things off from like things a million years old. And it's all from like police squad. It's all from like everybody's like done those gags again. Well, and they again did those gags. Well, well uh, hey, Holden, I guess we'll get into I it. I guess we'll get into it. <laughs> I honestly like like we are way jumping ahead, but I'm so excited. To, yeah, I had a really hard time like studying, doing research on Forbidden Planet because I just wanted to like immediately gush and and think about and live in the uh, airplane and Naked Gun films because they mean so much to me as a comic. Like they mean so much to me. I I just I was obsessed with them. Anytime they were on TV, I would just stop everything and watch them. Um, and uh, anyways, I wish I could have seen Airplane. Oh, and what am I talking about? I did see Airplane in the theater. It was. <laughs> Going in New York, and I went with Ed from oh. from Roundtable and Murderfist. I think Henry was there, and dude, it was incredible. Like having everybody in the theater say, "And don't call me Shirley," and everyone's <laughs> like, "Yeah!" Like it was so much fun. I haven't been to a lot of like old screened movies in the theater, but that was one of them, and it was like such a fun experience to see that, like surrounded by a big group. Of, I couldn't imagine seeing that the time it came out with a group of like really excited drunk people on a Saturday night. I mean. You know what I mean? But anyways, let's get back to Osley Nielsen getting beaten by his father and World War II. <laughs> so you're young. You grew up in a podunk uh, area and uh, you have to escape your shitty family. Guess there's one thing left to do. Join the military. Yeah. And uh, so his uh, besides running away from home, period, uh, the only way that Liz Nielsen could get out of the house and still like not get disowned by his dad was to join the military mm. because uh, it was very much their dad, his dad's intention for him to join either the army or the Mounties. Like, because that was the respectable way. That was like the true way. Not an actor like my bullshit brother. <laughs> I'm sorry, he was Dutch. Not an exit like my bullshit brother. <laughs> Come quick, run into my fist, child. So... He uh, joins the Royal Air Force yes. and uh, studies to become an aerial gunner. Uh, I, I got mixed sources on this. I don't think he actually went overseas. No, uh, he was too young. Okay. He did train to be a gunner, and um, but he didn't even think he was going to get in because, uh, have we mentioned yet, he had awful hearing problems from childhood, and this is going to play a big role in the his uh, charitable activities later in life. And uh, he really attributed, attributes so much of his success to having had, um, uh, what are they? Uh, hearing hearing disorder? Hearing aids. Oh, yeah. He had hear thank you. He had hearing aids uh, from young childhood and, and relied on those heavily. Um, so that was a big part of him not even thinking he was going to get in, but then he was just far too young to make it to World War II. But the fact that he oh. was even like a part of... Anything to do with World War II like blows my mind. Just, he was old. He's old. Oh, also, uh, for some reason, Leslie Nielsen in a bunch of interviews keeps pointing this out. Uh, because the, of the lack of fresh fruit in his early formative years, uh, he had like a mild form of rickets and it made him bow-legged. Ah. So uh, he's like very obsessed with the fact that if he puts his knees together, there's a four finger bow in between his thighs because, uh, you know, he didn't get all them good bone juices when he was a kid. <laughs> so after not actually fighting in World War Two, um, he ends up being a disc jockey at a Calgary, Alberta radio station. And then also went to the Lorne Green Academy of Radio Arts in Toronto. From there, he ends up getting a scholarship to the renowned Neighborhood Playhouse. And this is what releases him from Canada. Now, hold it. 
I, I'm just saying of the people in the room, you are the most tied to the New York acting scene. Oh, yeah. I'm way tied up in the New York acting scene. I mean, scene. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're Meisner, like. I'm Meisner. I'm Stanislavski <laughs> technique. I'm given circuit. Honestly, though, I do know a decent amount, at least about method acting and these sorts of things. I definitely studied it in college. Not in New York, in Florida, but still. So the community playhouse and the actor studio. Yes. These are legendary institutions Huge, in New York acting. important place. The neighborhood playhouse is alumni include Sidney Pollack, Burt Reynolds, also an FSU alumni, Kim Basinger, uh, Jeff uh, Goldblum, and Grace Kelly, just to name a few. And if you notice the span of years of different times those actors would have gone through, I mean, we're talking about decades of great acting coming through uh, the Neighborhood Playhouse. And Actor Studio, uh, I don't even need to necessarily go into too hard. I mean, everybody kind of remembers inside the Actor Studio. It's obviously like this super-renowned acting uh, conservatory in New York City, one of the main places you might want to go just getting to New York if you're really trying to train up and learn uh, the craft. So, like, just, I, I, I honestly just want to hear your perspective on that. Like, that kind of intense acting training, like especially back then where it was kind of, it was like still kind of radical at the time, right? Uh, yeah, they, um, like Meisner technique for people who know about different, like Meisner technique, which is a spin on Stanislavski. Stanislavski technique is the form of acting that came out of Russia um, around the time of Chekhov. It was sort of the, one of the first uh, times that there was a teacher who was coming up with very specific, interesting methods of approaching roles that went deeper than just sort of standing up and saying the words, you know what I mean? Or, or doing caricature style. It was like, oh no, let's think deep about these characters. Let's come up. I mentioned given circumstances, like let's think about where they were before they walked into the room. Um, talk about like endowing the space around you, um, really trying to create a, a world a world around you in this, like on this stage that feels lived in, that feels real to you. Trying to make everything as real as possible for you, the actor, so that you can get lost in a role, mm -hmm. essentially, right? Meisner was like a spin on that. Meisner actually came to Neighborhood Playhouse was like a big part of their evolution. So we're talking about people who have uh, techniques that are now like mainstays in acting in acting schools everywhere that are like fresh to this theater, like that are being born and um, developed in these spaces like the Actor Studio and Neighborhood Playhouse. Okay. Yeah, this was this was definitely. I mean, na neighborhood playhouse. I know less about than, or, or I've heard less of than the actor studio. But they're it's definitely, still going today. I saw their like recruitment ad on YouTube. Yeah, they're they're definitely. If you want to uh, cry next to a stranger while a white man glowers exactly. at you, exactly. Want to roll around the floor and think about your mother? Uh, is my <laughs> joke. And I have to say, you know, you ask me about all this stuff. If you want to hear my personal story, I was highly uh, alienated from acting with the faculty that I worked with at Florida State on. Unfortunately, um, I still like Lexi is like, you should take this acting class. You should take the, do this and do that. And I've been very hesitant to do that, unfortunately, because of the bad taste in my mouth that I have from um, acting school because I just dealt with a, a faculty that I feel like didn't understand me or my process. They wanted leading men. Mm. They wanted um, they wanted everybody to be Marlon Brando and uh, they didn't understand like sort of a more character based performer like myself. So anyway, I don't want to get too far into it, but um, I will say no, if there's one thing podcast audiences hate. It's like intimate knowledge <laughs> and openness with their hosts. But I will say this. I will say and, it, and it's a shame because I think I have a uh, 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 there's a great actor in me that lives in me that that like didn't get the support 
um, that it maybe you should have. Everybody just needs to be told they're good at shit, basically. Mm. You know what I mean? They need to be criticized. Of course, criticism is important. But at the end of the day, just tell, just, just pretend they're kind of okay at it at first so that they don't just immediately abandon it and feel horribly fucking self-critical uh, and self-conscious about their ability to perform for fucking years. <laughs> and still today, I don't want to step into an acting class because of these fucking people. So anyways, um, but, but, but besides all that, what was I going to say? I was going to say this. I was going to say that but besides just being in this space and learning these techniques and really getting like better at becoming a stronger performer, you're also just around people who can get you auditions. Mm-hmm. And that is where uh, Leslie Nielsen really uh, took advantage of the time. And he, he was given really strong, um, or he was, he was given a lot more opportunities to get auditions. And this is how he worked his way into his t- television career, getting um, $75 to $100 per show. Um, and, uh, yeah. and this is early television. So, like, you know, think think of, like, Maxwell Coffee presents the yes. Ninth Avenue Theater starring Leslie, like, His, and, you know, one-offs, uh, t- you know, teleplays, basically. These aren't, like, regular series. So it's just kind of these shuffling productions doing live performances only once, never rerun, because tape wasn't invented yet. Uh, and, you know, it was just steady gigs from this well of uh, New York actors and New York television companies. His first TV appearance was in 1950 on an episode of uh, the anthology drama series Studio One uh, and acting across Charlton Heston, of all people. Uh, Nielsen uh, has this to say about TV's golden age. It was a, it was a strange era. A tail end. Uh, does that sound like him? Kind of. It was a strange era. Nah, I can't do it. It was a strange era. The tail end of the golden age. A time when the Tiffany's of filmmakers was burying its head in the sand and trying to pretend that this new medium, television, was not happening. That uh, in 1950 alone, he appeared in 46 live TV programs and uh, would essentially. He was essentially. Kind of like all throughout his life, he, he had this tenacity to just go get work and, and work. And he was not a man known for saying no. Yeah, he fucking did everything, any little thing. And his first big break came with The Vagabond King, which is a, a film, uh, a musical um, that uh, did so poorly in the box office that Leslie Nielsen referred to it as The Vagabond Turkey. But it ended up being a break for him in a different sort of way. It ended up being a big break for him because the producer of that movie's next project was a well-known sci-fi classic called Forbidden Planet. And it was this movie. My favorite comic book shop in New York City. There it is. Is it your favorite? I mean, it's the most reliable. It's a place I go to for my berserks uh, if I'm going to buy them not on Amazon. Um, And so um, uh, it was Forbidden Planet that really, really actually kind of got him working in the the movies. This uh, Forbidden Planet, written by Irving Block and Alan Adler in 1952, it was loosely based on Shakespeare's The Tempest, and it set the stage for sci-fi films to come. It was the first film to have humans on their own, faster-than-light starship. It was the first film set entirely on another planet than Earth and Robbie Robbie the Robot was the first film robot with a distinct personality that plays a role as a supporting character i.e. it was the first robot that wasn't just like error (laughs) error error you know what I mean it was the first robot that wasn't like ah ah I-E-R-I-R 
Is that I, the I, same I, I, robot from This Island Earth? Like, they, Robbie the Robot gets used in a lot of sci-fi Well, they movies. reused a lot of the props and things. I know that for uh, Twilight Zone episodes. Mm. I do know that. But, um, yeah, Robbie the Ro- Robot is now, like, kind of amazing because he was the first. He was the first Hal. <laughs> he was the first intelligent side character, like, playing a major role in a thing. Did you I, – I, I caught – I haven't seen all of Forbidden Planet. I watched, a, I, tr- I watched a lot of clips of it because literally the idea of young Leslie Nielsen was a revelation. Revelation to me. <laughs> yes, I know, right? You only know him as this old man, uh, this, ever even the airplane. Hair. Yeah. Um, and so it was very weird watching clips of it because in a lot of scenes, uh, you know, the core conflict is there's this regiment of American space troopers that arrive on this forbidden planet run by a rogue scientist and his comely young daughter. Um, and like, there's just legions of white guys in identical uniforms and. You it takes you a second to recognize which one was Leslie Nielsen. Like it wasn't even until he started speaking that I was like, Oh, thank God there he is. And it (laughs) kind of like, it kind of cemented that he was just this like bog standard, serious white guy actor that were a dime a dozen of the era. You know, they all talked in the same candor. They all had the same like average looks. They all had the same pomade hair. He really does have that way of speaking. What do they call it again? It's Um, not the mid-Atlantic accent. It's not the mid-Atlantic accent, but it's like almost. It's just that serious movie military guy voice. Mm -hmm. And Um, he honed that. I mean, I feel like this is all training for the Zucker years, right? Like he honed this like deadpan, perfect, monotone, deathly serious style of acting through these years. Uh, but the 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 style of Forbidden Planet. Every clip I saw was just a bunch of like military guys like looking at like bad sci-fi props and being like, "You're telling me on this planet you don't have war?" <laughs> like, uh, yeah, and also um, you're telling me on this planet you don't kiss. <laughs> what is a kiss? Why it's the best thing a man can do. It's good for the constitution. <laughs> like it's very. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? That sci-fi yes. trope where like yeah. it's it's. Now it's very shallow. It's but just the people I- making like observations yeah, very yeah, openly of- about the differences between our world and the world that this sci-fi author is presenting it's, us. It's weird how back home thing is one way, but in sci-fi planet is different. <laughs> like, Are we the monkeys? The exact, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, also, um, it was the first film, by the way, with an entirely electronic music score, which I think is rad. And I will say... <laughs> Oops, I did, theremins. I did watch the... Um, kind of final shootout they got a disney animator to create like the weird monster and it looks like a crazy laser monster and it's very impressive i think for the time and the way they did it was kind of interesting um where he like actually just hand drew it and then they like photocopied it a bunch of time made it look all stripped down and weird i don't know anyways um it I, got him a but uh it was a smash hit and yes. it got him a very luke you know a very important contract with MGM Studios. MGM Studios has now taken him in, and they want him to be this, like, romantic, romantic lead. lead. Yes. Um, Nielsen says, in those days, I auditioned for everything MGM made while I was under contract. Not for the roles Elizabeth Taylor eventually got, of course, but Mickey Rooney and I were neck and neck for most of the musicals he made. Um, and during this time, he gets very dissatisfied with uh, what MGM is throwing at him. He does get to act across classic actress Debbie Reynolds in a film called Tammy and the Bachelor as a leading man uh, in a romantic comedy. The t- character of Tammy then goes on to make a lot of other more successful movies without Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> uh, but uh, also around, so we're, we're hitting the late 50s and uh, he gets another starring role. <laughs> That I am obsessed with. Uh, he gets a pivotal <laughs> starring feature as 
famed Revolutionary War figure Francis Marion, okay. <laughs> who single-handedly held off the British troops in the Carolinas, buying precious time for General Washington to fully br- uh, bring up the Continental Army. Uh, this was a Wide World of Disney special event series uh, introduced by Walt Disney himself every episode. And it was, Mary, if you can please play the theme song, Swamp Fox. Swamp Fox. This is so. What is the obsession? What what is the love? A what is, the why, theme song. I I met up with Jake earlier, and I was like, Jake, I want to talk about airplane. I want to talk about Forbidden Planet. I want to talk about, and he was just like Swamp Fox, and I was like, okay, Swamp Fox, but also airplane and like Naked Gun. Swamp Fox. And then though. he just said Swamp Fox though, and for a second I was worried he wasn't going to be able to do the podcast because I thought that maybe somehow swamp he had Fox, bonked, Fox, he had bonked his, he hit his head, and that the only thing he was able to actually say was Swamp Fox. This is amazing. This is like. Peak Disney. They literally set it as a story of Frontierland. And it's a multi-part series where Leslie Nielsen, in full serious Leslie Nielsen action man mode, uh, leads a band of unlikely uh, rebels to just fuck with the British left and right. And it is like, honestly, it's the most easily enjoyable like way to see young Leslie Nielsen in the dramatic kind of leading man roles that he was supposed to be playing. Yes. Um, Swamp Fox like doesn't like drunkenness and Swamp Fox is a clever old guy and Swamp Fox uh, falls in love with uh, the daughter of a prominent Tory and their love is forbidden. And it's just this weird like technicolor, like yeehaw version of the American Revolutionary War that I just found so engaging. And I just <laughs> want to spread the word of Swamp Fox because I swear to God, I'm the only person saying the word Swamp Fox in this entire universe. It's like Swamp Fox Zero Man. Zero Man, Swamp Fox. Oh, we didn't know. We'll end on Zero Man. Oh, of course. Um, but uh, uh, anything else on Swamp Fox before we move on? He wore a foxtail on his hat. <laughs> Fantastic. Like also, Leslie Nielsen sang the theme song. <laughs> yes, which is great, which we just heard, right? We just listened. Hopefully to we heard it. Um, so uh, at the other around this time, he's doing a ton of TV, by the way. He played a big part in uh, the pilot episode of Hawaii Five-0, actually. Um, uh, little things like that. But he uh, also gets another big break, and really kind of what leads to his uh, comedy reinvigoration in the 70s, he gets a role as the ship ship's captain in The Poseidon Adventure, um, which is uh, a big, huge Hollywood blockbuster. One, it's still one of the most successful uh, films, uh, blockbuster-wise, of all time. It's this big disaster movie about a submarine that ends up getting fucked up by a tsunami. A cruise right? ship, not a, a sub- cruise ship. Oh, if okay. a submarine gets upside down underwater, that's fine. That's actually fine. It's great. It's just annoying. Yeah. It's just like slightly aggravating. Um, so yeah, uh, it's a, a cruise ship that gets uh, turned upside down in a, in a big tsunami, and then they have to try to survive it. Um, and this was a huge, huge disaster film blockbuster for him. Definitely what led to, I think, the Zuckers looking towards him to uh, play the doctor in their film, Airplane. Um, and, uh, yeah, it had a huge, crazy good cast in it. There was a bunch of bunch of big names. It makes me kind of want to go watch it. I wonder if it would Gene still be Gene Hackman's, enjoyable. like, the main guy. Gene right? Hackman. There's all these. It's, like, it's one of those movies that has, like, a huge ensemble cast. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of nearing the end of his more serious work. 
this is where we get uh, more towards the breaking point. Um, uh, the final serious film that he was in before everything changed was a 1979 Canadian disaster film called City on Fire. Um, again, a disaster film, and that is very, very important. So let's talk now about um, Kentucky Fried Theater and Jim Abrams, David Zucker, and Jerry Zucker. These are three people who all grew up in Shorewood, Wisconsin together. And while attending the University of Wisconsin-Madison, they formed a theater group called, as I said, the Kentucky Fried Theater. This is like reminds me so much of Murder Fist. Like they were, they got together in a small town and they just started doing like a weekly comedy show. It was here um, that they started. Essentially, what they would do is they loved making fun of commercials and stuff, especially on late night television. So what they would do is they would literally tape late night TV shows um, and commercials and then watch the playback like the next day, and that would give them all their material to write um, different sketches and things. Mm. And um, that ended up actually being how they ended up taping a film called Zero Hour. And uh, upon playing it back, they just really loved this movie. It was this disaster movie um, that uh, was about, an, uh, I believe, an airplane, right? It's, yeah. a, it's literally uh, the plot of Airplane. It is it's an airline yeah. uh, where a contaminated food uh, option uh, basically devastates the half of the half of the crew, including the co- pilot and co-pilot navigator, and they... Uh, and a grizzled air traffic controller and like a PTSD veteran have to work together to land the plane. And uh, yeah, and they're we did it in school. We did oh, like really? a, like in English class. Our teacher made us like read through the play and like act it out. And it took us like a solid twenty minutes for us to go like, is this fucking airplane? <laughs> is this airplane your Daffy Broad? <laughs> Damn it, Mrs. Bornstein. Did she know that it was there? Oh, and she the- was like, I got you, ah, Mrs. Bornstein. I fucked with you. That's awesome. Hey, everybody. Holden here. And today I want to talk to you about the Robinhood app. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy, which means it is a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. So, in other words, It's great for someone like me. I'm a total finance dummy, and this lays everything out for me so I can invest in the stock of my choice without racking my brain over all the numbers. That's because the app displays easy-to-understand charts and market data so you can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. The app is focused on getting you to learn how to invest as you build your portfolio that allows you to discover new stocks and track favorite companies with a personalized news feed. And check this out. Right now, Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at wizard.robinhood.com. That's wizard.robinhood.com to get investing today. Yeah, so their initial script was was like pretty much line for line a rewrite of Zero Hour just as a comedy, and it ended up changing a lot since then, but they actually sat on it for a while and ended up uh, making a... Well, they at least were shopping around a movie that was comprised of all the sketches that they've been doing, kind of like a best of all the stuff they've been Some doing in the theater. Some kind of Kentucky Fried movie. Yes, the Kentucky Fried movie. It's rejected everywhere in Hollywood. <laughs> Nobody thinks that you can have a movie that's just a collection of sketches. No one's... Uh, to be uh, fair, believes. no one's done it since. 
Kind of, right? I mean, they've tried. I was trying to think of... of um, there was like the movie 21 or something. Yeah, which was awful. Truly awful. Yeah. Um, so anyways, they make Kentucky Fried Movie uh, by this long process of raising up the money through different investors. And um, it ends up being like a great box office success for them. It's this just late night, dirty comedy movie. I definitely watched it multiple times. It had um, titties in all the right places. It had titties all up in it. It was definitely that raunchy, like... I, I just, it was definitely a movie I watched with like my Murder Fist buddies and, you know, it was one of those. Um, and I do love this movie for it being the anomaly that it is. And it gave them just enough clout to shop around Airplane and get that made. Um, and so really, like, it was kind of all thanks to them getting this sketch comedy movie together. But now they're on the verge of making Airplane and they need to cast it. And uh, of this, David Zucker says, the trick was to cast actors like Robert Stack, Leslie Nielsen, Peter Graves, and Lloyd Bridges. These were people who, up to that time, had never done comedy. We thought they were much funnier than the comedians of that time. Leslie Nielsen says, the main thing that is going on in the work that I do is that it has to be credible, believable. It must be believable to me to do it. And um, and for from Jerry Zucker, which I love this quote, they're heavily influenced by Mad Magazine. Um, we were influenced by many things, but certainly by Mad Magazine. There was a regular feature in Mad, I think it may uh, still may be today, called Scenes We'd Like to See. And the way they do it was to have each panel leading up to the final panel be completely straight. Nothing was silly. And the characters weren't caricature And then in the last panel, they'd make the joke and sort of pull the rug out from under you. We always felt we'd learn subliminally from that. So we cast straight actors and use serious music. And instead of having silly sets, we put it in a real airplane. That kind of stuff allowed us to get more ridiculous with the jokes. The contrast, we've talked about it before, is so strong. If you haven't seen Airplane, by the way, fucking watch Airplane. It's so funny. A lot of it probably doesn't hold up in certain ways, or some of it doesn't hold up in certain ways, but I still find it to be wonderfully funny. Just uh, a bunch of characters playing everything fully straight-laced um, and just... It's just it just works on so many. There's so many great great jokes um, in that movie, and 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 it's wall to wall jokes. Mm-hmm. There is just no moment where a joke is not happening. And I think that's one of the things that I love about it as a comedy writer, as a person who believes firmly in that sort of comedy writing. Like there should always just be some attempted comedy happening through the whole thing. You know. So you say Airplane's the quintessential dad movie, and I think yes, uh, <laughs> one of the reasons that it works is because Titties. it's kind. There well, is a t- there's there just two very prominent <laughs> in the panic scene, but then there's also the Jello Jiggle boot. Yes. I saw it recently. Yes. I took note of the boot. I had a little checklist, <laughs> um, and that's it's a culmination of the entire like it's it's almost like dad media girl talk because it's these TV disaster movies that yep. used to be on the all dads, the time. Yeah, dads would all be watching all the time. Um, it's. Uh, Looney Tunes, Three Stooges humor on top of that. Dads love it. Can't uh, get enough of it. With like still like enough like risky like cool jokes like the jive talking granny. Yep. <laughs> to like be cool for someone in 1980 to still feel like they're cool. And like a horrible drinking problem. What? Oh, well that's just, yeah, slapstick. <laughs> that's like a classic bit. Um, so it's like both new and old at the same time and just this 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 medium mindscape of the average like you know kind of young dude that grew up like watching TV in the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. um 
And part of that is the presence of Leslie Nielsen because he was on TV in the 50s and 60s yeah. doing those exact kinds of roles. They just got those actors. Yeah. They just got those actors. Jerry Zucker says about casting Leslie Nielsen, so we went about our business casting Robert Stack, Lloyd Bridges, Peter Graves, and they didn't say anything. The main thing, and by they, I mean the studio, right? This is the whole thing. Is I believe it's Paramount, um, right? Um, I believe so. The studio is being supportive, and apparently they were very helpful with them and helped strengthen their comedy but let them do their thing. The hardest sell for them was actually just getting a studio to support them directing because they'd never directed before. And this is th- Also, there's three of them. And there's that three of them. That never happens. Yeah, there's never like three there, directors. There's usually like... there's. <laughs> Mo- at most two, and even then, they have to be like weird brothers. Yes, exactly. Um, well, at least we have weird brothers involved. Um, so we went about our business, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the main thing that we could see was that the casting director was getting increasingly annoyed. He was a great guy, but I remember when Leslie's name came up, he said, Leslie Nielsen? Leslie Nielsen is the guy you cast the night before. <laughs> and here we were probably six weeks out from shooting, but we were thrilled to get Leslie. At the time, I think people recognized his face for having been in hundreds of television and movie roles, but didn't necessarily know his name. Um, and Nielsen says... I've always done comedy behind the camera, always had fun. Only I never had the courage to say I could do this in front of the camera. But we did Airplane, and that turned out to be satisfactory enough to Jerry and David Zucker and Jim Abrams, and they spotted me for being what I really was, a closet comedian. Really, and they came knocking on my door. Come on out and play, and how lucky can you get? I mean, this is really amazing that it, it, apparently like he's always a prankster uh in between well, we have parts. to talk about the fart we will machine. definitely t- talk about the fart machine no I'm he had it excited at his, to talk uh, about the, the fart zuckers machine. talk about how during his audition they thought he just had really bad guests but uh no uh up until basically his dying day uh leslie nielsen carried around this bizarre homemade <laughs> fart machine. It's like I, if only I could have been in a movie with him because I would have gotten to actually feel like I was in the naked gun. You yeah. know what I mean? With this fart machine. Is it really felt like a bit you would see in but a it scene wasn't a, in that but movie? But this is the thing. It wasn't a whoopee cushion. It wasn't no. like one of those like electronic boxes that plays a fart noise. It was this uh, wrist strength exerciser <laughs> that he had when he was a younger man that like uh, the air seal burst. You know, it was this rubber, like, squeezy toy, then the uh, and it had a leak in it, and he realized that if he, like, squeezed it just right while it was in his hand, it would create, like, a... <laughs> you know, it would just do the... Fucking, it would just do a But a variety noise. of different ones, like... He was a manualist, you and know, one of those people that could, like, fart with their hands. And it'd be, like, ones like... Yeah. And they'd be, like... <laughs> which is such dad humor. Uh, it's so dad humor. David Leisure says, uh, performer on the on the whole thing, he was a virtuoso fart musician. He had a little fart machine that he would keep in his hand and he would like sit down next to you. Hi, I'm Leslie Nielsen. You've probably seen me in the movies and things. Be- uh, belches. Sorry, I had some onions at lunch. <laughs> and then he would have this thing tucked under his arm and you'd hear this loud, boisterous fart come out and you'd go, oh my God. And then you'd realize he was pulling a gag on you and he'd go sit down next to some girl, some extra, and he'd do the same thing. You'd see her face just blanch, waiting for the invisible thing to hit her nostrils. And he actually started selling it to the cast and crew for $7 a piece. And uh, the Zuckers at one point had to literally collect all of the fart machines <laughs> from the entire cast and crew in a 
basket and be like, we're doing a take. <laughs> if I hear one fucking noise come from any of you people, um, how, oh, I'm so jealous. I would just love to be there for that. That kind of shit is so funny to me. Um, you might roll your eyes at like sophomore dad humor or whatever, but I love when like the whole cast and crew gets together on a thing like that. That's so awesome. So uh, Airplane was a, was a smash hit a comedy classic mm-hmm. and the Zuckers uh, move on to their neck. The, the, the Zazz crew, the Zazz Z- Zucker, Abrams Zucker <laughs> uh, move on to their next project, which I feel is the quintessence of Leslie Nielsen as a comedic figure. I don't, I think this was his peak. I yes. think this is as perfect as this Zucker style can get. Yes. Um, Agreed. Uh, and this was Police Squad. Yes. And, um, and, and real, I mean, Naked Gun, I think the first film is probably the... A lot of the jokes are from Police Squad, yes, and there's they no are. murderer in it. Yes, they are. So let's uh, let's talk about Police Squad before we get into Naked Gun, because it's such an interesting, kind of fucked up tale. Uh, it was a TV series that ran for just six episodes on ABC in 1982. I recommend anybody who, if you finally remember the Naked Gun films... Definitely watch the Police Squad episodes. You can totally see everything in these episodes. And it was canceled, according to then-president Tony Tomopoulos, because, and I quote, the viewer had to watch it in order to appreciate it. Meaning the viewer had to pay close attention to the show in order to get the humor, unlike most other shows of the time, that you didn't really pay attention to. This is the opposite of, like, the <laughs> so Two and a Half Men. This is this yeah. was not a show that you can leave on and in the background because in theory if you listen to the dial like there's no laugh track I was about to say it doesn't have a laugh track it doesn't have a laugh track the jokes fire one after the other after the other there's three more jokes happening Happening in the background at the same time there's so and one of the things I love about the Zucker Brothers uh, style of shooting humor there is like so much shit happening behind uh, even what's going on that's so funny the tall guy that's out of the screen he's like you got something on your cheek no the other cheek and there's like giant sandwich falls (laughs) off Um, and and Leslie Nielsen is the most grounded character in the entire thing. His Frank Drebin in the in these episodes are like he doesn't do the googly eyes. He doesn't like do. He's just going about his business, being a serious policeman, a somewhat clueless and like overly confident policeman uh, in a gonzo world that is just falling apart at the scenes of reality around him. And so funny. It's in, it's completely a direct parody of the M a sh- Squad. A show called M Squad. Uh, especially Literally that- the theme song uh, yeah. for M Squad was done by Count Basie. Like so that even so the theme of the Naked Gun yeah. is playing off the big band score from that show. And, and the opening credits in M Squad was that siren yeah. doing the same deal with like riding through the streets. Leslie Nielsen actually played a bit part in an episode of <laughs> The M Squad, ah, and he, he uh, we didn't talk about it, but uh, the uh, uh, this QM Productions, I believe, did a lot of like cop shows and The Fugitive back in the fifties and sixties. Uh, he was the head; he played like the head detective in a show called The New Breed. So, like, he already played this role with dead seriousness already. Nielsen said they never gave it a chance. They did four shows, then two more at a different later time slot. They didn't even pay attention to the scheduling. But it was wrong for the small screen. We knew it. It was good in the screen. And when they room. say small screen, you have to realize that in 1982, a large television, like a, a premium large color television, was about 25 inches across. Exactly. Because we had a big That's screen. That's a shitty computer monitor. <laughs> <laughs> we knew it was good in the screening room because we had a big screen. We were falling on the floor. So it was also that, yeah, those little things happening in the background, kind of hard to see on a tiny-ass TV. Need to really go into the movie theater. And also, I feel like, too, 
and and people forget this, and it's kind of a sad thing about comedy in today's world when people are going to the movie theater less and less. Man, you have to be in the like I I I remember watching like um uh. Don't th- don't drink the juice in South Central. Wait, wait, wait. Don't be a menace to South Central while you're drinking the juice in the hood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember watching that movie in a movie theater as a little kid and laughing my fucking ass off in a room full of people. And I remember renting that movie about a year later and putting it on and being like, wait, this is funny, but like, I thought it was that funny because mm-hmm. you just lose so much when you're not. That laughter is so contagious. It's, we, a, it's literally a social signal that you are safe and w- among friends. We threw on Anchorman the other day because Lexi'd never seen it. And I just, Ooh. I just like, that was the last time I probably laughed my ass off at a movie in the theater. Like, that was probably the very last time. I remember I smoked a bunch of blunts with Ed Larson. <laughs> And we went to the movie theater in college. I don't know. I don't think there's been a comedy since I've laughed that Bridesmaids, hard. I lost my shit at. Bridesmaids was great. I didn't see it in the theater or I probably would have done the same thing. I I love. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I saw it at home though. So again, it just doesn't have the same punch. You know what I mean? If you see it alone in your living room or with one person in your living room. So anyways. That uh, initial run cemented it as one of television's greatest cult classics. It's still always brought up in uh, t- in conversations about great TV comedies. Uh, you know, if you make a list of great TV detectives, you always got to throw in Frank Drebin. Just he's, like he, got a a, he got an Emmy nomination for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series. And all of these things, essentially what happened was the the it got a cult following. The, the 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 talk about police squad uh, really started swirling people really loved it who loved it and this led to them years later coming out with naked gun from 6 the, years later 6 fucking years later uh naked gun from the pile, uh, files of the police squad and um Le- Leslie Nielsen says the essence of the humor in the naked gun films is that they never try to tell you what is funny i love that phrase that is so, i i think that is so great they put it there on the screen what they think is funny but they won't take you by the hand and lead you to the trough. If you see it, fine. That's why if you go see Naked Gun a second or fifth time, you usually find something that you missed before. You weren't led by the hand to the joke. And I think that people respond to that because you are leaving them alone. You are treating them with respect. And it's kind of funny because I feel like he would later do that. subtle, non-pointy joke when he's like holding on to a penis statue for dear life i love him when he's i think this is in two and a half but what he what he's she's on the ladder and he's looking up he's like nice beaver and she's <laughs> the like hands of the beaver thanks statue. i just got it stuck <laughs> um uh, no the best one of my but favorite it's so things. casually said like nothing's like you know for the most part right like in, in two and a half you have like the guy in the wheelchair and there's that whole crazy kind of all the sequence. all the norberg physical the norberg comedy bits are, are pretty yeah I'm, oh my it's so weird seeing oj yeah I especially because like in the intervening years like whatever shadow of doubt that you could like maybe push down so you could still watch those movies has long since been erased um i will say my favorite part in the naked gun movie is the uh final reggie jackson baseball scene yes the entire sequence with Enrico palazzo uh-huh. uh singing the national anthem and everybody's the, spitting the giddy thrill of uh him when he realizes that he gets a cheer every time he yells strike yeah and, and then he just dancing. starts dancing and shit it is so good um <laughs> it's, it's so good and the fact uh it was actually a huge struggle for them to and also i love la is playing um it was a huge struggle for them to actually get the Angels and the Mariners mm. uh, officially from the uh, Major League Baseball rights. Uh, and it's very weird because they're definitely in Dodger Stadium, but it's <laughs> the Angels playing. Weird. Let's not get into that. 
Um, and Ricardo Montalban is the best villain in, the, in this series. For some reason, the scene with the lionfish also really gets me. Yeah. When he like, what, when he gets bitten by it? When he gets stuck by it and has to keep holding the conversation. I don't know. There's just a lot of really good stuff. He play. He's really good at playing scenes like that. That's why he's really good. It's about. It's it's. He's still about him holding the composure. Yes, at like trying to be serious. It's kind of like my theater teacher in high school was like. It's it's not dramatic to see some, or it's not like tear jerking and dramatic to see someone crying openly. What is what's tear jerking and dramatic is to see somebody trying to hold back the tears, Mm. right? And in this case, it's the obvious. What's Great and comedic is when it's not somebody going, wow, wow, wow. It's somebody trying to like keep their composure while insane, like that kind of thing is happening to them. You know what I mean? So you would say that, like, say in Naked Gun 33 and a third, <laughs> when right. Anna Nicole Smith reveals her weird crooked boner, yeah. and then Leslie Nielsen goes cross eyed directly into the camera and goes, like, <laughs> I mean, that Naked Gun 3 and a third, definitely not the best one. It's, it's, it has some moments in it, but definitely. The reason for the season is one, and I would say two and a half. I think two and a half is great. Maybe that's just because that was the one I saw in the theater. Mm -hmm. That was the one where I was like, I was the right age, right time for it. But I think that that one is um, great to comedy when they're in the condom suits. I I will say it's a, it's a big, <laughs> all the sex which scenes. movie starts with the uh, international conference of like terrorist leaders. I think that's the second one because there is definitely just a fat guy in blackface trying to be Idi Amin, and it's oh, very God. weird to watch in HD. I don't. That's, um, <laughs> I, that's why that's why he keeps saying uh, again the Zucker's kind of shit started, doesn't hold up, and definitely in terms of like uh, but Police Squad does. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Police yeah. Squad is so pure in its vision, yeah. and so like perfectly executed that it really truly hits like stands the test of time amazingly like if this episode is making you wistful for like a good leslie nielsen comedy watch the police squad reruns you can find them like instantly on youtube you don't even have to pay a dime oh also peter siegel directed the third one not the not the zazz mm. um and he did tommy boy which may be a talk about laughing hard in the movie theater it's a tie between tommy boy and uh dumb and dumber for how hard i've ever laughed in a movie theater oh my God. it was between those two movies tommy boy holds up a lot more by the way than dumb and dumber i think um either way this leads to a comedy what i wrote in my notes and bold can you read that? Uh, you say, comedy bonanza. <laughs> <laughs> the successive airplane and the naked gun movies lead to a slew of schlocky comedies, um, Repossessed, the Air Exorcist parody. I remember Repossessed, actually, the, the, the musical number or whatever they do in that one. Um, 2001 A Space Travesty, which is not even really a parody of 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's just like a sci-fi Slapstick. We're getting into the not another teen movie era of yes, comedy, we're where clo- yeah, where a it's... scary movie, the movie movie era of comedy, where it's a lot more is uh, based on like pop culture references yeah. and send ups, just and that weird like yeah, just it's that dated like a week after release. It's because they're not even going on like iconic scenes. They're just like remember this from the trailer, right? I hate that. I don't understand what that is in people too. Because I can I just say this? I think I've ta- maybe talked about this. It's because it works. It's it's like but, horror. But it's like what drives me crazy is when I see. Uh, like uh, the, the last time this happened was seeing the trailer for The Hangover a million fucking times and then going to see The Hangover and having the audience like laugh at the thing that happened in the trailer mm. and being like, I know you saw this in the trailer. <laughs> it was everywhere. You definitely already saw this joke. How are you finding this th- as funny as if you're seeing it for the first time? It's like they're laughing just to laugh. You know what I mean? I mean, hey, people need to laugh just but to laugh. But yeah, it, it is that. it is that like... 
part and parcel, just just pumping it out, uh, 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 schlocky comedy films leading up essentially to scary movie, and then movie franchise leading to the blank movie. Uh, awful comedies that came out during that time. I'm I'm so glad that's kind of done, right? No one's really doing that anymore. Right? Uh, there's a few like murmurs of it that kind of pop, because there's the, a no one really owns the trademark to that. Yeah, and b it's just so easy to make that like if you know it's again like I said it's kind of similar to a horror movie where like for very little budget you can like get a lot of distribution just because the market people just people need to laugh if they want to laugh and this this is the moment where everyone kind of loses the script like we already talked about when it comes to what uh leslie nielsen was here to do as a comic and so dracula dead and loving it do you have anything else to say about it mel brooks's last film he's made up to this point um it is i watched some of it today and it is just very sad at (laughs) Um, just watching these two figures that I adore, I absolutely adore, just miss the mark so much. Well, uh, also, because Mel just, Brooks was coming off of a reinvigoration with uh, Robin Hood, Prince uh, uh, Men, Men in Tights. Tights. Yeah. And so he actually had like a rejuvenation before he had a re-re-re-rejuvenation with his musicals, with the producers and everything. But like, Leslie Nielsen isn't elevating your comedy, he's grounding it. Yes. and He's so, actually the straight man. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And so it's uh, having these lengthy setups to like just bad pratfalls, you know, having these like Leslie Nielsen in a bad accent and just it just doesn't work. It just I mean, there's a lot of uh, uh, large breasted British actresses in Dracula Dead and Loving It. So, you know, that was great. (laughs) Of course. uh, Can we talk about Naked Gun again? Remember the part where he's like, I love it. (laughs) I love it. Because that's his safe word. If you haven't seen Naked Gun, Naked Gun 2 and a half in Airplane, uh, just please do me a favor and go home and watch these movies. Please. I want you to know I practice safe sex. So do I. And it cuts to them in two giant Giant, person-sized condom costumes. I remember like kind of getting, but not really getting the sex scene stuff where they cut away to all the like rocket ship shooting up in the air and all that stuff. She had hair that was the color of gold in old paintings (laughs) and breasts that that seemed to say, hey, Hey, look at these. Hey, look at these. (laughs) Uh, It was a kind of woman you get down on your knees and thank God you were a man. Yep, she definitely reminded me of my mother. (laughs) 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 It's so good. It's so good. Remember they, um, uh, when the uh, inflatable autopilot uh, tries to grab (laughs) the the breasts of the (laughs) Woman on the airplane. Oh, was that before or after she reinflates him and they're both smoking? Yeah, because she goes down because the inflator is uh, where his penis would be, and mm-hmm. then <laughs> smoking afterwards. Hey, little Billy, uh, have you? What was? What were the? What did he say to the little kid? The pilot. It's like, uh, it's weird. But those that was really That was like a too. common Zucker thing. It's just like having the male authority figure just say something grossly Ask inappropriate, weird, to something <laughs> weird of the child. Yeah. yeah. Oh my! Oh God! My favorite bit. My favorite bit in both the Naked Gun and Police Squad is whenever he was stuck for a lead, he would go to the shoe shine guy and hand him a twenty and be like, "What do you know about the kidnapping?" He'd be like, "I don't know. I hear a lot of things." He's like, hands him another twenty. He's like, "What about now?" It's like, "Where it is? They're holding her in a warehouse." And then like he'd leave, and then like a priest would walk up to the shoe shine and be like, "So life after death?" <laughs> hand him a twenty, and the shoe shine would be like, "Well, you talking uh, metaphysical or uh, or?" or Patriarchal. Um, so good. Uh, he was also in Mr. Magoo. 
and Surf Ninjas. This was uh, his time in the 90s when he was trying to do kids' movies. Mr. Magoo horribly pans Surf Ninjas, you know, was Surf Ninjas. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot of movies like that around the time. Thanks, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for those kids (laughs) being ninjas movies. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you can look at the list, you know, and then he also, um, the Zuckers came back to this, came to the scary movie franchise for scary movie three and four. So he's in both of those movies. He does actually do a good job in those as this weird paranoid, like pastiche of George W. Bush. Yeah. Cause like he thinks everything is like an alien or a terrorist. And so he's just like flipping out every, there's, everywhere. There's one thing I do wish that a, I, my dad had when we were kids and B that I'll pro- might get him for Christmas. And that would be the golf how to videos bad golf made easier bad golf my way and stupid little golf videos uh that he uh, those three videos that he made through the 90s they were golf instructional videos and they were comedies you can find them on youtube i watched them and it is a nice balance of vaudeville style humor and like Kind of okay golf tips. That's amazing. I need to get it from my, my dad's a golfer and, and Leslie Nielsen, lifelong golfer. When he wasn't constantly working, he was uh, on on the course uh, hitting balls. He was really into that. Uh, of course, so many so many old comics um, get get into the golf. But uh, that makes a lot of sense. And but also, what you need to mention, what you need to know is we are leaving out like so many movie and TV shows that he was on uh, all through this time. He is working. He never stopped working. All through the 90s, 2000s, like, he didn't take breaks. He said yes to everything, and he kept going. He even said, as he got later in life, I'm afraid if I don't keep moving, they're gonna going to catch me. I am 81 years old, and I want to see what's around the corner, and I don't see any reason in the world not to keep working. But I am starting to value my own t- my downtime a great deal because uh, I am realizing there might be other things to do that I am overlooking. So he really did just constantly go, including a that's, little... That's the thing we, we have to understand is our entire lives, Leslie Nielsen was a very old man. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, he was also uh, later in his later years in a Canadian cartoon Holy show. Holy shit. Called... Zero Man. How have I never heard of this? I watched. The, so you were like, dude, you need to watch Zero Man I'm because like, it, this, this, this. I get. I took some time off today to like do some extra research, and this revelation hit me like a fucking Mack truck. And I'm so glad you told me. I put it on personally, and was like, wait, who is that voice? I love that voice. I know that voice. It was Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall. I, I'm just like, this is awesome because it's Canadian. Yeah, it's and super not only Canadian. that, his sidekick was Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, and uh, Ryan Reynolds character is very clearly coded as gay he has like dyed blonde hair and a mustache and like slides and has very like finicky mannerisms they don't say it but like it's very implied the humor is this weird like very anal based humor like literally to transform into a superhero he has to like sit on a toilet and activate the poop shoot <laughs> that sends him to a secret lair and I feel like it did finally give him the farts uh, yeah. that he adored uh, having fun with all throughout his career on set with that fart machine imagine the show Freakazoid but not as funny but with better animation and the star is a literal 80 year old man and no one addresses the fact that he's an 80 year old man just all these normal ass characters being like well hello it's our good friend les an 80 year old man it's 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 one of those like weird pop culture artifacts that i the the sense of like 
sub realness honestly blows my mind and yeah. it's it's the closest i get to cocaine it <laughs> is so addictive it's it's odd i i'm actually i think i'm gonna go and continue to watch episodes how many episodes are there there are 13 fully produced episodes awesome and as you mentioned briefly the animation's great it's it has no right to be that it's great, great. And the this screams weird cash in the cast is awesome who approved this <laughs> And why does nobody know it? Like, why is nobody it? knows? I'm I'm an animation nerd. I am a literal cartoon nerd. I've spent the entirety of my life seeking things that have been drawn in pages, and I've never heard of this thing. And it is psycho. It is pure psycho. <laughs> um, his oh, uh, do, do you know anything about the Waterman movie? This was a very interesting no. thing. So back in the day, I was a fan of Newgrounds uh, and Flash animation. And one of the most like breakout series was this very crudely animated, uh, what I can only say is a like knockoff family guy written by a high schooler who's into ska. And it was called Waterman. And, um, you know, it's like a new episode would come out like once every couple of months. And I genuinely loved it. I will say my it, the humor in it does not age. It's literally a cheap flash series. But there was this legendary movie that uh, he was going to finish. This was going to be his grand project because millions of people watched his cartoon. He was getting brand deals. You know, uh, it was close to being aired on Fox. Like, again, it's like when Vine stars all got contracts. Like, you know, new old media is always terrified of new media and will like cash into whatever's. uh, Then the iPhone came out and killed Flash as a medium and Mm. it all came tumbling down. But Brian Waterman, the creator of this series, uh, talks about how he spent like the years 2003 to 2006 trying to hunt down Leslie Nielsen to play the star of this spinoff movie. And after uh, literally like getting in contact with his old agent, befriending her and then finding out that she had died and like having to like give condolences, he finally connects with Leslie Nielsen. And over the course of a year, like he flies out to like just show up at his house and record the dialogue for this, what was going to be his last role, kind of, oh. kind of like uh, you know Unicron in Transformers. Yeah. Um. And unfortunately, just like the bottom had fallen out from the Flash, uh, craze, and he could never get it finished. But you Damn. can find test footage of this this legendary Waterman movie, uh, and it has le- like a very old Leslie Nielsen voice in it. And it's just kind of surreal that That's like awesome. the man, even in his like final act, was still like about new forms of comedy. That it's that is awesome. And that is definitely the takeaway. Leslie Nielsen never stopped working. He went for it every single time. And um a couple little tidbits. Due to his hearing problems, he was a big supporter of the Better Hearing Institute and supported them all throughout his life and attributed uh, so much of his success to the constantly uh, developing hearing aids that um, get better and better throughout his career. And um, on November 2010, Nielsen was admitted to the hospital with pneumonia and he died in his in his sleep on the 28th of November that month, surrounded by family and friends, So, which at least that is great to hear. And I love this. The epitaph on his gravestone was, let her rip, which is an ode to his fart machine. And you can see a picture of it uh, if you look it up. It literally says Leslie Nielsen with the years that he lived, and then let her rip. Because um, he's still making fart jokes after death. I love the there's guy. There's also, next to his grave, there is a granite um, bench oh. that you can sit and like gaze out at the uh, 
cemetery through within another engraved quote of his uh never turn down a chance to sit <laughs> <laughs> um so okay i think that's about it that's our episode on leslie nielsen i had a blast researching that this was such a walk down memory lane for me um i just have such a fond fond memory of of these movies these are such great movies to hang out with people and watch and you know um definitely uh will continue i i definitely plan to throw on airplane for my kids when they get to the right age you know and and be the dad that shares these movies and um for that i have leslie nielsen to thank um so yeah any final words before we before we end comedy is a wriggly beast and you just got to make sure that you don't hold on too tight and you don't let go. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right, all you babies out there, so we're going to wrap things up. You can patronize us on patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We always put out bonus content every single week. Uh, we just did our monthly wrap-up where we talk about, you know, all the things we're playing, watching, reading. That that sort of content um, uh, is slapping you in the face weekly if you want to patronize us for $5 a month. And then there's other tiers as well. Check them out. Um, we're actually all fold up on our uh, $50 Patreon tier. No more episode requests for for now, so you're going to have to wait on that one um, if you're hearing this at the time of its release. And if you do want to um, donate for episodes, I kind of love these. They force me to do things like an episode on Leslie Nielsen, which I'm very appreciative of, to, because to be honest, um, I don't know if I necessarily would have done this topic, but I had a fucking great time. It was a lot of fun. Researching this, this topic. You can follow me, twitch.tv forward slash Holden Ho. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young and check out uh, Dropout.tv where uh, the show I do a voice on uh, Cartoon Hell airs weekly. All new episodes every week on Dropout.tv. I play, a, I play a very obese, angry demon. Hell yeah. And remember, always keep whizzing. And never stop bruising. That was a bird noise. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.